0: Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. I love y'all, and I consider it such a privilege to share God's Word with you in worship as we gather, and I'm so encouraged to share with you today. Let me just kind of throw a couple of things at you as we start. Um, First, next Sunday evening is a very important uh, night in the life of our church. As we gather with First Baptist Church of Pineville, Philadelphia Baptist Church to begin a three year commitment to worship together where we're going to gather and celebrate King Jesus and his great work in our midst. First year here, the second year at Philadelphia, the third year at First Baptist. And this is going to be a special time of worship, so I'm asking you to set aside... Next Sunday evening at 5 p.m., everyone come and gather. We want to absolutely pack out our sanctuary, sing praise to God. All three choirs will be together. It's going to be a wonderful night of worship and service to our Lord. Stuart Holloway will be bringing the Lord's Word to us, and I'm excited about hearing from Brother Stuart. And we're going to do two things that night that I wanted to make you aware of. Now, one is we're we're feeding everybody. So with that big crowd... We're all feeding folks, and we need you to kind of help us out. So, uh, Rita, are you in here? Is Rita in here? If you're here, Rita, show me a hand. I can't see. I don't think she's in here. I think she's taking care of something. But uh, Rita is in charge of that. Call the church office. Talk to Glinda or Candy uh, and ask them. They'll be glad to connect you to Rita on how you can help with that. There's some specific things she's asking for. But I want to mention one other thing that's going to be going on next Sunday night. We're taking up a special... Thanksgiving offering on that night, and it's going to lead up to some things I'll be sharing with you all during the month of December. But I want to share with you just a little bit from my heart because uh, in this in this particular thing, I'm very very burdened. Um, when our new uh, IMB president came in uh, over the last two years, and they began to assess, they saw that our International Mission Board, our, our group of about five thousand missionaries, that had been serving globally. Um, had been running a very serious budget shortfall, very serious, to the point that because of um, Southern Baptists not giving as they ought to, and I think we can really, we'll see that fleshed out in the next few weeks as I share with you some statistics, but Southern Baptists not giving as they ought to, uh, we're bringing home this year between 800 and 1,000 of our missionaries. It's coming off the field and they're coming home. Uh, they were offered an early retirement package if they were 55 years and older and had five or more years of service. They were offered an early retirement package, which was very good. The IMB handled them wonderfully. And they were offered that, and many have chosen, in fact, in our dear friend Gary and Charlotte, Wester, their ministry there in Ecuador and all through uh, Spanish-speaking regions of South America, where Gary has a lot of uh, responsibility, from his team of 240, they're losing 90. So in the first few months of 2016, 90 of their people will be gone. And that's 90 people who've been serving, some of them 20 and 30 years in missions. Vital people. So this shift is huge. And it's totally related to the giving of Southern Baptists. And so the next few weeks I'm going to talk about that. So here's what I just want to do. I don't want to take away from our official Lottie Moon offering we're going to talk about in in, uh, December. And if you haven't heard about Lottie Moon, I'll explain that to you when we hit December. Next Sunday night, here's the offering. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to take up an offering, all three churches together. It's going to be, this is all the offering is going to be. I'm thankful for our missionaries. That's all we're going to call it. I'm thankful for our missionaries. And I want you to bring, next Sunday evening, a Thanksgiving offering that says, I'm thankful for our missionaries. And what we're going to do is we're going to have counters from all three church, take that money, and we're going to divide it three ways. Philadelphia will send a third off to the IMB. First Baptist will send a third off to the IMB. Kingsville will send a third off to the IMB, and it'll be a shot in the arm with all the budget stuff that's been going on. And so I want you to come give generously and really say to God through this offering, I just want you to say this, I'm thankful for our missionaries. These are folks who've answered the call of God, left the comforts of this country, gone into foreign lands. Some of them very dangerously. Some have lost greatly because of this. But God has blessed him, and so I just want to encourage. But this change, regardless of this offering, this change of 800 to 1,000 of our personnel being cut, that's that's a done deal. What we're hoping is that those cuts won't have to go any further. And that by our giving here on this one particular offering and then our Lottie Moon offering, and I'll be talking to you about how all that works in funding as we draw near into the month of December. Next Sunday night, I am thankful for our missionaries. Can you say that with me? I am thankful for our missionaries. And I think we really are. And I think we'll show that next week in our offering. So come ready to share. If for some reason you can't come next Sunday night, you could note that on a Sunday morning giving next week or just drop it by the office and let us know that it's a Thanksgiving offering and we'll put it in the right place. Okay, jumping into the Lord's Word. I, am, uh, I want to ask you a question. What's in a name? I want you to think about that for a moment. Um, what's in a name? When you hear a name, what comes to your mind? When you hear your name, our name identifies us. Uh, remember when you were young enough to understand that your parents were picking you out from among the other siblings or from another group, and you would hear their voice, and they would say your name, and you go, oh, they're talking to me, and you would respond to them because your name was attached to you. And so you would also not only uh, know that you were you when they said your name. Somebody says, Bart. I go, huh, they're they're talking to me or maybe about me. Uh, okay. And so uh, I recognize myself to myself. It also, our name helps us be recognized by others. If somebody says, who, who are y'all talking about? I said, oh, yeah, we're talking about Bart. I said, okay. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. And so there's. A way that a name identifies ourself to us, I know that I'm Bart. When I hear Bart, I think, that's me. Others know I'm Bart, so they identify me as Bart, and so there's something behind that. And then, who you are kind of sticks with that, so that whatever you think of Bart kind of attaches to the name when you hear it. Same thing when you hear names of political figures. When you hear Bush or Obama, or you hear Clinton, or you hear Gore... Or you hear Reagan. Or you hear a name and things go through your mind immediately. As I was saying those things, you were thinking. You know, some of you are going, hmm, 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 you know, smiling around, and for different reasons. Everything has a name and that name attaches to it meaning and value and worth. If, if you were walking through your yard and you heard somebody yell, SNAKE! That name that you gave to that particular varmint would alert you and you'd either, if you're a real snake lover, you'd go, oh, let me see. Or if you're not, you go, ah, and you run, get the shovel. If somebody says Taco Bell, you either go, "Ah, oh, yeah, crunchy gorditas, or you say, "Ugh, cheap Mexican food. <laughs> if somebody says Los Portales, you say Kingsville after morning worship. Say McDonald's, kids go Happy Meal. So there's names have tied to them meaning, value, and worth. We also have the privilege of giving names. Sherry and I had picked out a name for Laurel that wasn't Laurel. And so Sherry gives birth. She holds Laurel. Gets a little little teary. She says, what was the name we had picked before? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking, this is 21 years ago. Y'all don't laugh too bad. I mean. Rachel or Esther kind of was it. But she looks at Laurel and she says, she's not a Rachel or an Esther. Now, only Sherry could surmise that. I couldn't. I looked at her. She, you know, Rachel, Esther, yeah. Um, so I said, well, what, what do you think? And so she started thinking, she said, What about Laurel? So well, I love that name. That's a beautiful name. So we named her Laurel. Who got to pick that name? Parents. What if we dropped by the hospital when you were given birth, Mom, and we said, Hey, we're here to name your child? Yeah. Uh, so there's a privilege there. And, and then when you get your goldfish, do you name him? And your dog? And your cat? How many of you have named your car? Come on, raise a hand if you've named your car. Okay, we've done that. I've had Bessie one time, okay? Oh, Bessie. And so, names attach meaning and value and thought and worth and identity. If somebody yells fire, you go, oh. And so you you react to that because that, that thing that consumes has a name, and so you know to be aware of it. You're riding down the road and somebody yells, car! And you know, okay, there's a problem here. And so, names are identifiers to us and to others, and they're given by the ones who have the privilege, parents to children, owners to pets and cars and towns. If somebody says to me, Panama City Beach, I think, fun, yeah, Somebody says, Gatlinburg. Some people, if you say, Mall. Yeah. woo I'm going. LSU. It ain't happening today, is it? Or Steve, even, you can't even rejoice today, can you, Steve? So names are, they, they, they say something. If you find somebody with one of those signs that this is LSU, I don't know if you saw that one where the team that was coming in and they hung the banner up and it said, we're here to finish up what Katrina didn't finish. LSU fans got mad about that. As the names have meaning and value, and so when we jump into this story about Jacob and a name change, it's very important to understand something profound is happening. So let's roll into the text, because I want to talk to you about name changes. Oh, when Sherry and I got married, she was a McCullum. She's not a McCullum anymore. So by blood, she's still related to the family. When she signs her name, she signs Walker. I love that. Not because I wanted to take away McCullum, but it, it says something about the one flesh. My dear friend Andrew Sylvester from Natchez. His name wasn't Sylvester. Those that he called mom and dad were not his biological parents. They adopted him and they gave him their name, Sylvester. And he bears it with joy that he was adopted and has their name. And so there's something about not just naming and being named. There's something about even a name being changed where a child is incorporated into a family through adoption or Spouses are incorporated into one flesh through marriage. And names change, and it means something. It carries value and weight. And so Jacob gets a name change. And so we're going to look at his new name today in Genesis 32. Let's go there. And I want to share three simple pointers to us and then one profound truth that's under it. The simple pointers are, number one, Let's take note of the timing when Jacob received his new name. Now, you remember Jacob's name means heel grabber, usurper, tripper, upper, deceiver. That's what his name meant. So much so that when Esau got hoodwinked with uh, by Jacob, he even said, isn't his name Jacob? Isn't that what he's doing, deceiving us? And so there's this name. He comes out of the womb holding his brother's heel. And he's named tripper-upper, trickster, deceiver, supplanter, usurper. And so Jacob's lived a life with a name that he has fulfilled very well. And all of that is coming to a crescendo, to an apex, to a climax in his life where all of what he's been like is about to catch up with. And so I want you to look at the timing when Jacob received his new name. There's three parts to it. First, in chapter 32, I want you to look in verse 7. It says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. All that he had done to trick his brother on two occasions was coming to pass. And he was about to be face to face with the one from whom he finagled the birthright and deceived to get the blessing. And that is the one Esau who had said, when I see him, I'm going to kill him. And Jacob knew that Esau was not wasting words in what he had said. And so Esau was after him. And here comes Esau with 400 men to meet him. And it sounds like a battle is brewing and Jacob knows he cannot handle that. And so suddenly, the timing of Jacob's receiving his new name is in a moment of great crisis. Sometimes this is how God works with us. He lets us get so far along the road, doing things our own way, in our own strength our own power, our own will, to where we corner ourselves by our own deeds. And God let Jacob go that way. And he got to the place of this major crisis. And he's scared to death because he knows his brother has pledged to kill him. And he figures that that would include maybe all of the company of his family as well. So he is greatly... Look at the words there. Verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. The words that are used here have to do with not just possessing fear, but overwhelming fear that is now visibly noticeable. And there is Jacob in his crisis and God has allowed him to get there. By God's purposes and by God's plan, He's let Jacob go along a path, fulfilling his old name. And here. Then if you'll jump over just a little ways to verse 24, God takes another step in this. In verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. There's something about that moment That God is speaking of here. No distractions. Nobody else to lean on. It's just Him and God. The internet's unplugged and the TV's off and the music's off and there's nobody there. It's just you and God. There's no hiding, there's no evading no delaying. It's just you and God. And so God capitalized on this moment of crisis, got Jacob alone where he could deal just with Jacob. You ever notice how distractions keep us from dealing with what we really need to deal with? We go on about work. We go on about family. We go on about play. We go on about entertainment and we distract ourselves Our consciences start bothering us and we turn up the volume of everything so we can be more distracted. We increase the amount of distraction, distracting ourselves all the way into sleep because we don't like being just alone with God until we get to the right place with Him. And so that's what's happening with Jacob. God has him. God has got him by Himself. And there's one more factor. It's at night. There's something about the dark that still makes us all a little different than when we're able to see everything. There's something about alone in the dark, night, in a crisis, when fears are welling up inside us almost uncontrollably. I can tell you of countless dozens of times in my life where unresolved issues or stressors or critical things came up to me in the fear, in the dark of the night where I have sat up, bolt upright in my bed with cold sweat forming on me as God was dealing with my heart. And He has Jacob in the crisis alone. In the dark. And God's going to deal with him there. The timing is important. Let's go to the next part. Number two, I want you to take note of the turning that begins to occur. Let's take note of the turning that begins to occur when Jacob received his new name. Something hit me about this text I had not noticed before. When we get to. Verses 9 through 12. Jacob, in the midst of his fear, begins to call out to God. And he says in verse 9, and Jacob said, verse 9 of chapter 32, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. This is the first time in Jacob's life that it is recorded that he actually calls out to God like this. you got all these chapters of events in his life. God appearing to him at Bethel. God appearing to him at Mahanaim. God appearing to him in the, the settling of the things of Mitzpah between him and the others that are quarreling. Laban and his family. And This is the first time with humility and authenticity. Not in tricking and not in posturing and not in deceiving and not in trying to make pretense. He just calls out to God in humility and says, you know what, God? I do not deserve how good you've been to me. I am a trickster, a deceiver, and yet you have blessed me. And so there's a turning here Something's happening in his heart. He's realizing that this crisis is something beyond his capability. Listen carefully. Many of us navigate most, if not all, of our lives simply doing all the things within our own capabilities until God finally brings us to something that we cannot handle. And through that, He finally humbles us. And we see we can't do it. He finally breaks us. And we're done. And so He gets Jacob to that point, And in the timing is right. In the midst of the crisis, the turning begins. And he calls out to God in the most unique way yet in his life that we know of. And he cries out to Him in humility. Not in the arrogance of I can handle this with another set of trickery. But in the humility of a man who really realizes that anything that he has that's good was given to him by God's grace. undeservedly. And so there's this moment of turning. He gives credit to God for His loving kindness. That's the kessed. that's the mercy, that's the grace of God. And all of the faithfulness which Thou hast shown to Thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me. And he might add there, and give me what I had coming. He knows his unworthiness. And so there's this turning that's happening. God has gotten Jacob into the right crisis so that Jacob can have the right heart toward God and the turning is occurring. He's turning toward God. He's learning, I can't do this. And he's turning. And he's calling out. He's crying out. He's begging God. who he says, I don't deserve what you've done or what I ask, but would you spare me? Would you deliver me? But what happens in that is something totally different. And anything that's ever happened in his life. So let's go to number three. Let's take note not just of the timing, the crisis, the dark, the alone, the turning as he now begins to beseech, to ask, to pray, to beg God. But I want you to look in number three. Let's take note of the new kind of trying. Trying. You see, all of Jacob's life he had tried to do everything his own way i want you to think it through and think of the blessings and the struggles jacob had received a blessing of a promise of a promise a prophecy over him that was told to his mom two nations are in your womb the older shall serve the younger and he had the blessing of this prophecy Maybe having known about it, maybe his mom having known about it, they tried to work that prophecy out on their own. And so Jacob, with his slickery and trickery, talks his brother into the trade so that Jacob can have the blessing of the birthright. And he uses that slickery and trickery and he pulls it off. And for a bowl of soup, Esau does the most immoral and godless thing he could do. He trades the birthright. Jacob has now that blessing of a prophecy and that blessing of a birthright. Then he wants the blessing of his father. So engaging in trickery again, being outright deceptive and lying openly to his own dad. Pulls off a scam with his mom. To get his dad to give the blessing to him instead of his brother. Having struggled with Esau and Jacob conning the blessing out of his father. And so now, he has the blessing of this prophecy. The older will serve the younger. He has the blessing of the birthright. You get to call the shots for the clan is the blessing of his father. That wonderful moment that his dad spoke over him, that wonderful blessing we read about. And then he goes and lives with Laban. And through all of his working with Laban, he's able to become very materially wealthy. He's rich now. He left... With nothing but a staff in his hand running away, he now is coming back and he's loaded. He's loaded. He has departed into companies. And he says, two great companies of people. And so he's loaded now with goods and servants and animals and he's just got it and he's doing great. So he's got the blessing of the prophecy. He's got the blessing of the birthright. He's got the blessing of his father. He's got the blessing of material wealth. But he's still so stinking empty. And right in the middle of the crisis, he finally figures out what he's lacking. And that's what makes the name change and the struggle with the angel so beautiful. God appears to him in the form of a man, an angel, a messenger. We don't understand how that works. I have no concept by which I could describe that. I don't understand. But it is God it is God in the form of a man. We know how capable that is in Christ. We know that it's true. Here God comes and He begins to struggle with him and He gets him while he's in the crisis. He gets him while he's turning. He gets him while he's alone. He gets him in the dark. And they wrestle. Verse 25 says, And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, the angel Touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled him. And then he said, well, let me go. This man did. For the dawn is breaking. But he said, here's the thing that brings it all together. I want you to think this through about where this has been heading. You got Jacob with the blessing of the prophecy and the promise. You got Jacob with the blessing of the birthright. You got Jason, Jacob with the, the blessing of, of this uh, father's hands on him and pronouncing over him this good that is to come. You got Jacob in the blessing of material wealth, but he realizes with all of that, something's missing. And there's something worth wrestling all night with God to get. And it's the one thing every one of us need. It's the blessing of God. That's what this is about. It's about how meaningless promises and prophecies and power and possessions and privileges, it's about how meaningless all those things are without this one thing. The personal blessing of God Himself. And Jacob finally gets it. It took the crisis to make him aware. It took the quietness to make him hear. It took the darkness to make him see. And God wrestled him that night and he laid hold of God and he said, God, I will not let go until I get the one thing I really need. I need your blessing. And suddenly, all of Jacob's life makes sense. All of what he's been doing is pitiful stuff and totally meaningless unless this one component draws it all together in meaning for now and for eternity. It is the blessing of a personal relationship with God that is not second hand, but is wrestled out in the dark of night where the soul finally reckons itself with God and says to God, there is but one thing I really need, God, I need you. And so now, Jacob has it. But as God gives it, he said, Jacob, what's your name? What do they call you? How are you known? And he said, I'm the trickster. And holding Jacob in his grasp as Jacob held him, he said, You are no longer the trickster. You shall be called Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with man and have prevailed. Remember, Jacob was wrestling from the womb. Don't you remember? His mom's going, What's going on inside of me? It's like a volcano here. What's going on? And God spoke to her and said, There's two nations wrestling in your womb, struggling, striving. And that was the life of Jacob, wrestling with everyone he ever knew to get what he wanted. And found all of it to be empty and worthless until this one moment. Put it all together where he wrestled with God. And God said, here's my blessing. I'm changing your name. You see, God has that privilege because Jacob was his child. He renamed Abram to Abraham. He gave names to Adam and Eve. Adam meaning earth, ground. Eve meaning mother of all living. Abraham, father of nations. Saul to Paul. You get examples. And now we have the most beautiful example where he says, you're not the trickster. You're a prince. You are the man who has struggled with God. You'll go forth different. You'll be humbled. And he strikes him in the midst of the battle, making him limp for the rest of his days as a mark of that night of struggling with God. Jacob goes away fundamentally different. Having the one thing. The one thing that he really needed and actually always wanted. Now, I want to ask you, we can, we can sing the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings. We can do that right now. We can do it. But I want to tell you something. You could start ticking off every one of them and you could name them into the gazillions. But if in that list is not this one thing, your blessings are meaningless and temporal. This one thing is that you need this one thing. You need God. And you need the blessing of God that comes to us. Come with me to Galatians chapter 3 and look at how the New Testament speaks of this fulfillment and the hope for the Gentiles. We are not Israelites by birth. We're not Israelites. We're not Jews by nature. We don't have that privilege of being born into that bloodline that was granted to these men coming off of Abraham and Jacob had born into that bloodline, but he still had to have that personal relationship of blessing But come with me to Galatians and look at this glorious picture of these blessings offered to us. He says in Galatians chapter three, come down to the bottom. I wish I could read all of the passage to you, but he says here in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come even to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What Paul is saying is that what Jacob begged for that night and received from God, the blessing is available to us only through Jesus Christ. Listen carefully on the day of your death. On the day that your obituary is published. On the day of your funeral when all the accolades are said and everyone speaks so nicely. Whether you were blessed enough that you get the gold-lined casket and the great big vault that's waterproof and worms can't get in. If you don't have Christ on that day, your blessings will all have been a curse because they will have blinded you to your one thing. And you need Jesus. And so Jacob came to that moment. And in a moment of great intense struggle with God, he said, I I just need this one thing. I need your blessing. There are many here today who have never come to that point. Oh, you casually sauntered down an aisle one day in church and took the pastor's hand and walked through the baptistry. But you've never wrestled to that point where you realize this is the real, the only, the serious thing. You need Jesus. And I don't want you to edge over into eternity and look back and say, man, I had all these promises offered to me. I had all these possessions given to me. I had all of this power that I exerted. And I had all of this privilege in my life to sit in a comfortable air condition, heated wonderful padded pew to hear from God week after week. And I squandered it because my blessings blinded me to the one thing I needed. I need Jesus. And so I want to invite you to Jesus. And those of you who know Jesus, I want to invite you to something different. Because here's what I think Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he talks about people who are working all their life with wood, hay, and stubble, and it all gets burned up. I think what he's talking about is... They get saved and they still operate without the power of seeking God's blessing in everything that they do and in everything that they attempt and in all aspects of life that they were seeking to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish and not working in their own strength. The greatest danger for the evangelical church today is this, that we decide we can operate based on natural resources, budgets and people in organization, in structure, in buildings. My brothers and sisters, we can have all that. If we don't have the blessing of God, we're dead. And I want to invite you who are saved to come to a time of reckoning and say, God, I will not live another day without struggling with you to operate in your blessing. The blessing of your power, your spirit, your presence, and your will. Would you bow with me? Some of you, you've come today and you know that you need Christ. And I want to introduce you to Him. He is the Son of God. God in human skin. He is the Savior of the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And He is the King of kings. Every knee shall bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He loves you. And He demonstrates His love in that He died for you while you're still a sinner. And He took your penalty and He was raised from the dead. And He reigns at the right hand of God the Father this moment. And He he invites you to His blessing. Would you call upon Him with me now? Pray with me. God in heaven, I need Your blessing. Oh, You've given me blessings. I, I don't doubt that, that any good I've ever had came from You. But I'm missing this one thing. I'm missing You. The blessing. So right now, I repent of that. I turn away from my sin. And I place my personal faith in Jesus Christ the King. And I, in this moment, Ask for your blessing through Jesus. Save me. Forgive me. And make me new. Thank you, God, in Jesus'
1: name. Others of you who are
0: believers, you're here and you need to pray too. And you've been functioning in your own power, your own abilities, your own will, your own way. You've been functioning doing things your way. And God has convicted you today that that's no longer. It's time to function in His blessing, His power, His Spirit. And so I want you to pray too. Pray with me now. God, I'm sorry I've been trying to do this my own way. I'm sorry I've been trying to do it my own strength. Today, I want to struggle with you until I know that I have your blessing on what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, starting right now. God. Uh, if you've prayed to receive the Lord, or you've prayed for God's blessing to strengthen and change you as a believer, I'm going to ask you just, as we stand and pray, maybe you'll come down and take the staff by the hand and pray with them or kneel at the altar as God stirs your heart. Would you stand? Would you respond?